0: let's dive right in this morning because i want to use what we're feeling right now as a result of that hymn we just sang what a great uh man awesome hymn to just set us up remind us of what we've heard and then set us up for what we're going to hear today uh first of all you know that, that whole that the, the just the feeling behind singing that song and that and the lyric making sense in our hearts i think comes from understanding where the church was before uh paul starts talking to timothy we've been using. By the way, those a lot lot of new folks today. Uh, Enjoy yourselves. Ask around with the people that invited you, what we're about. Uh, uh, But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that today. We are glad you're here, and maybe this is a place God has for you. We are a uh, church plant, two years old, uh, almost two years old. I guess we are two years old, aren't we? Yeah. Been in this building for about a year-ish. So anyway... We are excited about what the Lord's doing here and what he's going to do, uh, and this is for you if God says it is. So that's your introduction, and you're welcome, and hope that makes you feel like you're special. Probably doesn't. All right, but anyway, we've been talking about really, imagine the church being over here. We've been using these two stands, this stand over here for kind of a performance-based legalism, uh, the pharisaical kind of idea of the law, and that that stand over there for paganism and all this pleasures and what it has to offer. And then the middle stand is what we've been singing about this morning. Okay. Is the, is, uh, you know, Holy spirit, you are welcome here. Uh, come flood this place, feel the atmosphere. Your presence is what we long for. And then Jesus, Holy and anointed one, the high, uh, the, you are the, what? Holy and exalted one. All about him. Right. And so this morning as I was singing that, I kept visualizing this, but also just uh, just want to reiterate kind of and set up what we're talking about in 1 Timothy. We've been in 1 Timothy for a number of weeks. But imagine the church, okay, stuck in performance-based legalism, uh, doing the law according to the Pharisaical laws, not according to the law of God, but the, all the misinterpretations of what that meant, and so burdened down by all the legalism, you know, just uh, rules, a big list of rules to follow, things you don't do, things you do. None of that was God's intent, but that's where the church, that's where the church or Israel was, right? God's chosen people is where they were. Now, it's not hard for most of you to imagine that, right? Because you've been there. I've been there. We've been in that, and that's kind of what the culture is like here in the Bible Belt. There's a lot of this. So you can't imagine it, but imagine what they felt like whenever Jesus, uh, whenever the temple veil was torn, and uh, they were able to, to enter into the temple first time, and they see the tails, the, the veils torn. Of course, the, the, the enormous fear that they had of walking into the presence of God uh, based on the old law would be death, right? Because they wouldn't even tie a rope around the high priest's ankle in case he died in there. Nobody could go in and pull him out. And so that now they can actually come boldly before the throne of grace and find God in His mercy and, and God in His grace and God in His help waiting on them and accepting them and receiving them. Man, why would you boast about that anymore, right? It's easy for us to boast in Jesus Christ when that's what He did for us. And and so just a huge, the huge uh transformation that happened in, in what makes us right with God and what keeps us right with God or the understanding that, that was clear when they saw it was all about Jesus and not only for their salvation but for their continued righteousness imputed to them but because of the perfection of Jesus and his life lived and, and God made him to become sin for us him to become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him all right imagine how that moved them to worship Okay, So I know we're not quite as moved. Uh, unfortunately, we still uh, have a lot of baggage to, to detox from before we're ever going to be consistently moved to just talk about and sing about Jesus and his presence and, and God being enough and, you know, and, and him dying for us and, and his grace and his mercy and the, the, all the other characteristics of God that we're learning by experience as we walk with him, that those things really overwhelm us and we worship him for that. But I wanted us to kind of get a feel of what we used to be to be able to kind of feel where we are. Uh, some of you talk about when you go home for, uh, you know, to visit family or whatever, and, and you go to the old church that you used to go to, and, and how that experience is just kind of, you know, you, you kind of want to spit it out your mouth. You know, it's just not, and it's nothing. You know, I mean, there are Christians there. But, and I'm not saying that they're this and we're this. I'm just saying in a similar way, they would never go back because they'd encounter God in so many wonderful and, and personal ways. And they, they wanted this. But let me tell you, Paul's addressing the fact that there's some people over here that are also in Ephesus where, where Timothy is preaching, and they're not, they're, they're doing that, they're spitting Jesus out. They, they don't want to have anything to do with this salvation by grace stuff. Okay, we know better than that, guys. It's all about works. Make sure you continue to perform well, or else God's not going to be pleased with you. And so, so Paul's coming to Timothy, saying, "Timothy, listen. I need you to address these things. I need you to rebuke those people that are teaching that way, and rebuke them carefully. Not, oh, I'm going to show them what it's all about. We talked about what a rebuke is, right? Rebuke your elders uh, as you would a father. And so, but rebuke them. Bring correction to what they're teaching, and make sure that the people don't feel a tendency to, you know, they're over here enjoying Jesus. Everything's good, and worship is good, and it's authentic. Their hearts have been changed because of the." The, the gospel message and who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit's in them and working in them, moving in them, life's transformed. Nothing like it was. And yet still they're finding themselves going, are we supposed to are we supposed to go back to this? Because it still feels right in, my, in some places in my gut. You know? It still feels right in my body. My mind, my gray matter still thinks that way some. And so are we are supposed to turn and go back to that? And these leaders over here were, were shouting out, yes, you should, and come on back. And so Paul said to Timothy, make sure you tell the people, don't listen to that. And we have said that, right? If y'all have heard that, say, oh, yeah. Have you heard it clearly? Don't go back to that. There's no reason to go back to that. All right? We are, we are the keepers of this beautiful thing, that, and this community desperately needs to see that, okay? And so we're going to stay stuck here. We're going to celebrate the presence of God, the uh, the personal touch of God in our lives, the ongoing movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're going to abide in Christ and this Holy Spirit, and we're going to let him just do what he wants to do. We're not going to worry about whether people over here agree with what we're doing or not. We're just going to walk with Jesus, and it's going to be enough. And if you walk with him enough, long enough, you're going to find that even the the best, most well-meaning people over here a lot of times the scholars, because those of us that have, have terminal degrees think we're somebody, all right, and so we want to tell you what we know, and so we don't feel good about you not doing things the way we do it, so we explain what you're doing away and say, okay, it's okay for you to have that Jesus stuff, but, you know, come back to center, right over here somewhere in the middle between legalism and, and the freedom that you have in Christ. We're not buying into that, right? All right, so we're going to go over here, and we're going to spend our time with Jesus. And so what does that look like? Paul said, "Here's here's how I need you to, to th- here's what I need you to do, Timothy. In Ephesus, you have people from over here. You have people who are pagan. Uh, these Gentiles over here who are now understanding that, this, that salvation is for them as well. God has included the Gentiles, and they're being saved. And so we need to stay right here because when you when you live in Jesus, when you abide in Christ, obeying what He says." Uh, seeing his, his uh, activity, his exclusive activity in your life, and, then, and you come to know God, not only are you going to be filled with joy and contentment, but also you're going to be a witness to the world on this side and the world on this side. And both of them, everybody say both of them, okay? Both of them are drawn to this. But if we're over here telling these people over here they need to come over here, nobody's drawn to that. If we're over here and we're telling these people, y'all need to loosen up and come into a little bit of sin, nobody's listening to that. But everybody is drawn to Jesus if they can see him for who he is. So we want to take all the confusion out and the only way to do that is let Jesus have his way in our lives. So Paul says, hey, this is how I want you to share the message. I want you to preach it. I want you to rebuke the, the false teaching. I want you to tell the people not to listen. In addition, here's what I want you to do. I want you to Uh, Those of you who aspire to the position of of elders, that is, uh, bishops or pastors or shepherds, uh, uh, overseers of the body of Christ at Ephesus. Those of you that aspire towards that. And by the way, all of you need to know how to behave in the household of God. So all of you who are stretching with all that you are towards this, here's what it looks like. And then we got all the characteristics of elders and then we go right into deacons. Any of you in the body who, who aspire also and, and would stretch with all you are towards Jesus and, and would, would like to do it and feel called to do it in the way of a servant of the people, not a leader. Not, not, I mean, you're going to be a leader in the sense that people are looking at you, but not a leader in the sense that you have any authority over anybody in the body. You're a deacon or a deaconess. You are a servant within the body of Christ. Those of you that aspire to that, same thing. This is what it looks like, and it's all these same characteristics that he said for elders. See, it's really anybody that aspires to walk with God, this is what it looks like, right? You are passionate, and your life has changed. You, you behave differently uh, within the household of God, not the building but the body, right? So you, you behave differently. And so Paul tells us that. He says, these are the things it looks like. Now, when you flesh that out, it's going to look like this particularly. And here's some things Paul's dealing with with the church at Ephesus specifically, but that it has meaning for us. Last week, we talked about how we handle widows, all right? And so saying, this is saying, this, this is the way widows should be taken care of. You don't have responsibility. I don't want you to be overburdened uh, like some of them apparently were by taking care of all the widows in the community You have responsibility for the widows in the body of Christ and particularly the widows who have served well. So let's make sure that they get on a list. It doesn't mean that you don't take care of other widows, but there's a list within the body of Christ, uh, within the the household of faith and in this body of widows that we have responsibility to put on a list and make sure their needs are taken care of, right? And we we talked about all the dynamics related to that. All right, so that's again. Now we're talking about what does it look like when you flesh it out in a congregation, it looks like taking care of people, right? So today we're going to move forward into the next portion of the text, the last part of chapter 5, which talks about how you guys take care of me. I'm so looking forward to this. All right, everybody ready get your wallets out? I got my pockets wide open. They're empty. No, but the, the, hey, Scripture's about, Paul's about to tell Timothy, this is the way they need to take care of you. And you make sure you tell the people that there's a way to take care of elders, and particularly elders who are serving in the, in the ministry of teaching and preaching. All right, so what does the Bible say about that? Yeah, I'm kind of halfway joking, but I'm also uh, not, because we're, we're going through the text, right, verse by verse. And so let's let's tear this apart and see what the Scripture says. I think there's a lot of truth for us today. Uh, also, in redefining uh, kind of, again, what leadership looks like from this perspective, Paul is Paul is telling Timothy, you need to be this kind of leader. He does more of that in the second letter. But in this letter, he's saying, Paul, this is what leadership looks like. Uh, this is what it looks like to rule uh, as an elder over a, over a body of believers. And, and and it's not this. Okay, so make sure you understand that, that this has everybody mixed up about what leadership looks like. This rule is a whole different kind of rule. All right, so we're going to look at that today and, and, and uh, get some lessons uh, hopefully, for our for application. All right, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible. Here we go. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture sh- says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox. When it treads out the grain, which, by the way, about the time I started feeling good about myself as being, you know, worthy of double honor, then Paul calls me an ox. So there you go. Uh, So uh, when he treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, uh, that the rest may stand in fear. are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not can remain hidden. All right, so let's start that. Verse seventeen, he says, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor." All right, so let's just talk about that for a second. Just what does it mean to rule well? Remember, First Peter five last week. Uh, we talked about elder leadership. And one of the, one of the characteristics uh, in verse, let's see, in verse 3 uh, says this, not domineering over those in charge but being examples to the flock. So leadership, according to uh, the word of God, is not domineering over, the, over people. It's not I ain't got the rules you guys need to measure up to what I say. And by the way, for your convenience, I've also put them on a list. Okay, so let me send you that list now via email in any other electronic means so you can have it, have it handy. You might want to have this one blown up and put it on the wall. Follow the rules. Okay, it's not that. I, we're not domineering. And if you don't follow the rules, we're going we're gonna to take care of business, right? Uh, it's not that. It's a totally different concept. That idea, even the word, uh, the, the Greek word for rule here, by definition is to so influence others as to cause them to follow a recommended course of action. It's not to domineer and to, to, to just list rules. It's to influence people, right? And so so uh, those that rule, what he means by that, if we rule well, it doesn't mean that we're effective in getting people to do what we want, which would be kind of what the old school was, right? Is he effective enough getting me to do what he wants? Instead, it's influencing others in a way to cause them to follow Uh, a recommended course of action we we do uh leadership to life and i do uh have taken biblical leadership classes and also teach she teaches that and we teach i teach it in the context of the church but you know to me the best definition of of leadership and i forget who you might be helping remember who did it but it's it's leading people to to do what they consider to be of value so so i am influencing people in the way of their heart changing so that they actually desire to do those things. I'm not trying to lead people to do something that I want and they reluctantly follow, right? That's not good leadership. Not the kind of leadership Paul's talking about here. So the, to rule well means that I'm influencing others. I'm getting into their hearts. Uh, God is using me to touch hearts and change lives that way. Jesus defined leadership in uh, Luke 22:25 25 to 26 in the same way. He was talking about, uh mainly about the Pharisees lording over people again and he says the kings of the gentiles verse 25 exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves all right so a leader again by Jesus's definition and he defines himself that way right he says to become great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. When he serves the disciples and he says, you do like I did. You serve. If you want to become great, it's service. It's, it's leadership by giving of my time and investing in people and loving people and serving people. That's good leadership. That's ruling well. So, it's not influenced by powerful persuasion. I might have a, the kind of personality that I can convince you to do something or else. It's not influenced by enticing personality. Uh, thank goodness, because I have a very enticing personality. I was just checking to see if y'all are still awake. You didn't laugh, so most of you are sleeping. Wake up, right? It's not influenced by trying to put somebody in the pulpit who speaks well, who's convincing, who has this really uh, happy-go-lucky kind of personality, very optimistic all the time, and can talk us into doing anything and smiles a lot. All right? It's not that. It's influenced by showing people a better way and inviting them to join through teaching and preaching. So I want to show these people. It's one of our goals as a church, right? Right? One of our goals of the church is to try to show these people who are still stuck where we used to be stuck that it's worth the effort to detox from that and come over here. And we can only do that uh, through our lifestyle, through teaching and preaching, and through serving. And so my role as elder of teaching and preaching is to do it this way and to do it one-on-one with a number of you uh, who will also hopefully do it one-on-one with somebody else, uh, investing in people, serving people in that way. And I've realized personally how much more time it takes to get the word into people's lives. It is not easy to get this into the lives of them or them. I have so many friends now that I didn't have who live here. And they're stuck in trying to do something, to, to continually seeking the pleasures that f- fulfill only the senses, the physical senses uh, or the five senses, and, and there's no depth to it and just waiting for all of them to get to the end of that you know so that we can they can see this more clearly asking god to open the eyes of their heart to see it but that's my teaching and preaching and it doesn't it doesn't mean that i go and sit with my bible in front of these people i uh, i have way too many friends that i can't even i can't they they know i'm a preacher and when they do that and the fact that they don't run is encouraging to me right and so I'm spending time here, but I'm also spending time over here trying to not offend them by, uh, by uh, becoming all things that I can in that world to bring them here. But our goal is the same. So that, according to what Jesus said and according to what Paul said, is good leadership. And by the way, thank you for providing that opportunity for me. And I'm so blessed that you give me the opportunity to labor in preaching and teaching uh, in the Word as Scripture describes leadership. Uh, you don't know the blessing that is to me. And many of you young men who are desiring to be preachers, I just want to encourage you to not settle for that, that it can, it can happen. And we want to help you to be that person. And we want to send people with you uh, to plant churches as God leads, uh, to go and plant churches where you can be yourself, stay here, and, and as a group of people, draw people to Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, so there's many pastors that labor, but their labor is in ministry, uh, in the ministry of a deacon, <laughs> you know, uh, and they quickly become busy overseeing the wants and desires of the people instead of being able to spend time ministering the word effectively. And you, and Bill knows that, uh, I know that those of you who have ever served in any kind of pastoral ministry or even been a member of a church and grew up in a Baptist church. You've seen that model where the, everything's the pastor's required to do all the work and and the and the pastor has, has very little time to spend time in the word and really be able to to ask God not only how do I how do I uh, what is the truth in this word how do I correctly interpret this scripture but also how do I apply that to the lives of our people how does what does our body need in a prescriptive way this Sunday and so I have the time to do that and I praise God for that because life group leaders and and uh, progressively more of you. And people within the life group are taking care of the needs of your family group, right? So I don't have to be at hospitals and nursing homes, or I don't have to be at nursing homes because we don't have anybody that is anywhere close to that. Uh, you know, uh, even in hospitals, because all you do is have babies around here, except for Bill. I will be going to see Bill in nursing home soon, I'm sure. Uh but, man, what a blessing that you guys give me, and I want you to know that, that the, the fact that I can be who God's called me to be and the Scripture defines as a, as a, a leader or who rules well. I rule well because I'm able to, to stay in contact with God and do what he leads me to do. Now, you have to be the judge of whether I rule well or not, but now that you know what it is, I hope that you will agree uh, that I have that privilege and that I'm doing my best at that. All right, let's go on. Verses 17 and 18. Okay, he says, let the rulers who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially for those who labor labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul is saying that those who influence others, pastors who influence others through preaching and teaching to cause them to follow the recommended course of action that God has given should be provided for. There's no, it's very clear in this passage. Uh, that word, uh, double honor, the word honor is, actually has the connotation of not just saying, hey, good job. You know, we talk about honor being that. And when you honor someone, you, you, you lift them up and say, hey, you've done well. It's more than just giving them a plaque. It's literally compensation in this text. It means compensation. You guys do that and should feel good about it. You take care of your pastor. My needs are taken care of. You, you feed me and clothe me and take care of my, my housing. Uh, all of that stuff is good. You're doing that. And so that's what he's saying here. Uh, in 1 in Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this again. And so it's, it is an expectation for all the churches. He says, do we, uh, verse 5, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? For a living, who serves as a soldier? Uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, "You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain." It is—is is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope uh, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Then he says, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food uh, from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share the, in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. All right? So, very clearly, here he says that, that those who minister, particularly in preaching and teaching, not only, but particularly, he says, especially, in, in the area of preaching and teaching, are worthy of double honor, which means you take care of them. Uh, why, why shouldn't you? And there's so many illustrations here that are given of, of sharing in the crop, of, of uh, you know, the oxen eating, uh, getting to eat because uh, of the grain that he's plowing. So it's, this is my ministry, and I'm sowing spiritual things into your life, and you are, uh, are compensating me in a material way, which I need to continue on. And then, uh, so, so that's natural. It's biblical. It is something the Word says. Now, there's two things I want to say about that particular aspect. First of all, this week, it gave me a proper perspective, I think, of the significance of preaching and teaching the Word. Y'all still with me? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, because this is about the good time to start dozing off. All right, so, you know, I, here's the way I read it, first of all. God is saying, especially those, those who are preaching and teaching, the elders who preach and teach are worthy of double honor. He's kind of lifting that position up. And why is he doing that? Not because those people are more significant. I mean, goodness. Scripture is very clear about that. We've already talked about it. The, the one that leads well is the one that serves. It's not that they're more important than everybody else. And, you know, uh, Paul makes that clear in Romans and First Corinthians. when He talks about the body, that no part is more significant than any other. It's not that. Then what is it? It's the ministry of the word. Okay, so y'all with me? So that ministry of the word is something that God holds up, and we need to recognize that this is one of the ways that that Paul is making clear to Timothy that an elder who preaches and teaches uh, is doing something that he needs to be paying very careful attention to. He needs to be doing it well. This ministry is is significant, and we you know we've already read in Acts. Uh, I think it's chapter 7 or 8, uh, where uh, prior to, to Stephen's um, uh, stoning, uh, he was elected as a deacon, and they selected deacons because Paul needed to be able to just keep his focus on the ministry of the word. So they selected men uh, who were, again, worthy of putting in front of people as servants that people could look at and say, okay, that's what a man of God looks like, and they're serving. Wow. But they're taking care of the needs of the widows, and they're taking care of the needs of the orphans, uh, and so, it, Paul is consistent uh, in, in what he's saying here, consistent with what uh, the writer of Acts was saying as well, Luke, was saying about this the significance of the Word of God. A pastor doesn't need to be so busy doing other things that he can't preach the Word of God. So that's point number one. Recognize that. Embrace that. You guys give me the right and the and the privilege of being able to not have to do what so many church ministries have to do man uh, church ministry is about so many different things today it's about form uh in, in some churches this you know the way you, the kind of ministry you do it's about historical connection it's about programs uh for kids particularly our youth it's about worship styles it's about extracurriculars or some you know trying to reach a demographic and we're focused on that uh, style of leadership entertainment and, you know, in churches that I've served in supplemental staff positions, I've been forced to, to kind of buy into whatever that, not forced, but I, mean, I chose to do it. But I've been uh, put upon by my leaders to perform in that way. Now we're all about this program. We're all about this, uh, about being uh, like this church and going off and looking at churches and seeing how they do things and coming back and trying to make Saddleback happen in this. Where's the, where's the w- waterfall, you know? Uh, and so it's that, and we get so focused on that stuff. That, and that takes time and energy, and it takes planning. And, and depending on what's, what you're chasing after, all of that time that you would spend as a pastor in the Word, studying and, and meditating, and first of all, being changed by the Word, and then second of all, asking God, what is the Word for the body, and coming in and being able to give that uh, to the, excuse me to the body of Christ. Man, that's significant. Paul wants Timothy to and us to know that the ministry of the preaching and teaching, truth as revealed in the Word and revealed by the Spirit is what's significant. Second thing is it gives biblical mandate for caring for your preacher in such a way that I'm not distracted by having to provide for myself, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm taken care of, and this, this is not an amount thing, you know, a lot of times what happens uh, when, I, when I started at this church, when it was the bigger church, before we went into two churches, the elders said, what do you want your salary to be? Or what are you asking for? I said, I'm asking you guys to pray and ask God what, I, what my salary needs to be. And God's going to give you the right amount that's going to take care of my needs. We may both be shocked by that. You may be shocked because it's probably too much. And I might be shocked because it's probably too small. But we're not putting our faith in the amount. We're putting our faith in, in God to provide. And one of the things they did, is it's very common, they went and checked out what do a, what a PhDs make in churches of this size? You know, that's a method. But, it, but listen, I trust that God, I've learned by experience to trust that God will take care of me. Uh, I am making a lot less now than I was then, and I've done it to myself. Uh, because I, all I need is enough to, I need to make enough uh, I need to be compensated materially to take care of my needs, which are becoming progressively few the older I get, and, and not let that be a distraction when I'm trying to focus on hearing the word, meditating on it, applying it, and giving it away. Everybody get that? Okay? So those, that's your responsibility. Uh, the word is significant, man. It is what we're about um, Uh, God needs to speak to us. It's the beginning of abiding in Christ. We can't obey what God says until God speaks. And we need the word of God. We need to understand what God's word is for our body. All right. So, uh, let's see, where do we leave off? All right, let me just touch on 912b, 1 Corinthians 912b, because Paul says something that I want to say to you. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure, in, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. I, I believe, personally, that God is working to provide an opportunity for me to work in a job outside of the church. We've talked about this since, we, since the church began. I thought it would happen when we started two years ago. Uh, this semester, right now, I'm teaching five classes in two universities, all right, because I think that's where the Lord's leading me is ultimately that I'm, I'm going to be teaching uh, to be able to provide for myself financially. And it doesn't mean I, I uh, the only reason I would do that, the only way I would do that is if I can give the attention to the word that I need to give. And so there's not many jobs that I can do that in. But if I could teach full time, we're talking about maybe 25 hours a week, including office hours, if I'm not teaching five classes, which is never the case. Uh, but if, if 25 hours a week of actually working in that and then all the rest of my time, I can be focusing on the ministry of the word. Still meeting one-on-one with people, still giving, giving it away that way, serving you and giving the word to you that way. Uh, so I believe the Lord's called me to do that. Now, is it my right to still demand, not demand, but is it my, is it my right to, to be to receive my salary from you? Yes. But I believe that there's something the Lord is doing, and I don't know what. I'm expectant but I don't have expectations. Everybody understand that? I don't know what, but I know it's God. He's doing something. I think God has a plan for this body that well, uh, of, staff, of our staffing, our paid staff being done creatively, maybe in a way that's never been done before, to be able to specifically reach this community. I don't know what that's going to look like, uh, but I think that's where that money is going to go at some point. All right, so just, just a side note, Paul was doing the same thing, but Paul had a problem in that church in that it was a hindrance to the gospel because some people were saying, why are they getting paid uh, to, to share the gospel, and, and we're not, you know. It was kind of a something was going on there in Ephesus where people were saying, why do they get paid? So Paul said, hey, how about this? Uh, I can make tents. God gave me that gift. I'm going to be a tent maker, and I'm going to do that, and I'm not going to receive what's, what you need to give me. But Paul's telling Timothy, look, you make sure you tell, the church, that they have responsibility to take care of pastors, okay? And Timothy was going to be one that needed to be taken care of. All right, and then let's go to verse 19. He says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Do not admit a charge. Admit, it means to receive uh, a charge from somebody, Uh, to come to believe something that to be true and to respond accordingly, accordingly with some emphasis upon the source. He says, don't listen to and receive a charge that someone gives you against an elder. Everybody hear that? That's not just Glenn. That's also the other elders in this body. Don't receive it. If somebody comes to you and says, I got something I want to tell you about, God, did you know about what Glenn did? Do not receive it. Matter of fact, the best thing is not even to listen to it. Uh, listen, it's not the, the, the text here is, is to listen to it and accept it as true and respond accordingly but don't receive that. Uh, don't receive those charges against an elder. Uh, that's significant because, uh, you know, we, you, why are we taking so much time to talk about what an elder is? Why are we taking so much time to, to, uh, to think about and pray about who our elders will be? Why is it that this body has not had uh, disputes and troubles regarding decisions that we've made as a body. And so far, every decision we've made has been unanimous. Why is that? It's because we've been careful about putting elders in place. And the church and body trust the elders. But what happens when one person brings a charge against an elder uh, and, and talks to somebody else about it? You know what happens. Then gossip begins. And whether it's true or not, we've got problems in the body. And so he says, don't listen to it. Uh, He said, but if you have a charge, if you personally have a charge against an elder, you have a something that you believe the elder has done that's sin or that's wrong, then he says, do not even go to the elder unless you have two or three witnesses of the actual event. Okay, witnesses, that's people who have observed what took place and are able to give an accurate account of what happened. So when you hear the story of these three witnesses, it should be exactly the same. That's an Old Testament concept. In Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen, that idea of three witnesses, uh, in verse 15, is part of the law. He says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that, has, that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And then in Matthew, uh, chapter 18, verse 16, uh, when, when Jesus is talking about how do you handle a person who's, who's offended you, who's sinned against you, he also says, if he does not listen, then take two or three others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it says two things. Again, first of all, elders should be chosen based on their pursuit of God and the fruit of holiness that results from that. I did a thing in my, one of my classes this week in spiritual formation. I talked about uh, how, how today, uh, it's, I called it the Tale of Two Johns, John uh, Calvin and John Wesley. Uh, Tale of Two Johns, because we have so much arguing going on about the, 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 uh, the, the theological teachings of soteriology and how these two differ on that, uh, which is, by the way, the, the doctrines of salvation. All right, so we have, uh, but they both were theologians. So, but the way people treat them is like they're over here. It's like John Calvin hung out over here making rules for people, and and his rules were right. And John Wesley, he was over here making rules for people, and their rules were right. Man, those guys would die again (laughs) if they could live and hear what's going on in the fights that are going on about disputable matters. Both of these men were great theologians, and it's obvious uh, if you study their stuff. But let me tell you where those guys were, and I, I brought up... Um, two different pieces, and, and that talked about John Calvin and John Wesley, and how they were here, how much they pursued God and loved God, and how much their lives were uh, reflections of fruit of the Spirit. They were so full of the Spirit, man, their lives were just they were blessings to everybody that they were around. People spoke highly of them. They saw Jesus in them. They weren't drawn to their theology. You know who's drawn to the theology? Us, when we go to seminary and we're trying to discuss what. What does all of it mean? And we're, we think, we're, and, and, and most of that arguing comes out of us thinking we're somebody because we found out what people have been thinking all throughout history. And we think, oh, it's a brand-new discovery. Look at me how smart I am, right? And so it's not that theology is not important. But what he's saying here in 1 Timothy is that, uh, and, and what Jesus is saying, Uh, is that elders should be chosen based on their pursuit of God and the holiness that results from that. It needs to be evident in their lives. They should be above reproach and difficult to bring a charge against, right? Not perfect, but always pursuing God and difficult to bring a charge against. If you find an elder who's easy to bring a charge against, then you probably have, have an issue that needs to be dealt with. But we want to be careful about choosing our elders, again, because uh, we don't want our elders to, to, to be men of God who are not pursuing God and, and showing the fruit of holiness. And the second thing out of this, out of this idea of having witnesses uh, coming, the idea of not bringing a charge against elders is that individuals in the body need to check their motives before they accuse an elder and make sure that their accusation is consistent with what others obviously have observed taking place. right, so you don't just bring a charge against an elder. You need to make sure that it's not something, it's not a matter of preference. Yeah, we try to do that before you ever join the gathering place, right? We want to make sure you understand what we're about because what happens is a lot of times our preferences uh, take, uh, take precedence. And perception is reality. If you're not teaching the way I want you to teach, then I... You know, maybe what happened in your last church is that you could go uh, talk to a bunch of people in the church and y'all could have a little group of people and you huddle together and you don't believe the way the pastor believes and that's okay with, you know, he just doesn't get it, but we get it. And you start talking that way and that's damaging to the body. Look, there's lots of churches and I'm sure those of you visiting today, there are lots of churches in this town. You will see that if you had not already discovered it. There are plenty of churches. Find the one where your heart fits. Find the one where you're like-minded. Find the one where you, you are ministering in the same way and your desires are the same. And then if you, if you have some problems, and the place that God's calling you to be a body part. But make sure that you're not going into a church, and a lot of times people do, to, to correct theology, to change what their doctrines are, to change their practices. Because it, we've been eight years now, almost nine years, of being careful about everything that we do as a church. Making sure that God's leading. Elders have led. Body's been unanimous. So, so go with us. You know, that's the call. Go with us. Find out what we're about and go with us. But church, let's be careful about that. Now, in contrast to accusation of elders, what about those who persist in sin? All right, he gives a word about that in verses 20 to 21. We won't spend much time with this. But he says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. He's saying give a biblical rebuke to a person who refuses to relinquish sin. That is the, that's the, do it in the way that that Jesus said it. It's not that that we stand and we say, okay, man, what's your problem because you're living in sin. If that's the way you rebuke, you got a problem. Right? But in the way that we were just reading out of Matthew, uh, where, uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 18, where Jesus was talking and teaching how to rebuke someone who sins against you. Look at it again with me. We'll look at a little more of that passage, verses 15 to 18. In this way, this is how we rebuke someone who persists in sin. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. Okay. So there's an attitude we need to discuss about rebuking those who will refuse to relinquish sin in the body of Christ. Those that are in our body, and, in, and we've put a bandaid on them, and we put some some neosporin, and it didn't work. So then we went and got monkey blood. Anybody know what monkey blood is? All right, a few of us older people, three of us. Oh, and Bethany. Uh, comb, right, which is, used to burn so bad you don't want to put that stuff on. You already put that on, it burned, and you put a Band-Aid over it, and it didn't work, and they're still sinning. You need to do something about that. So there's an adi- ad, But there's an attitude we need to discuss, and it's not, that, it's not uh, an I'm better than you attitude. And a judgment based on our lives, looking at theirs and looking at ours and judging them for the things that they're not doing well that we're pretty good at, but not judging ourselves for the things we're not really good at, right? But using the truth, taking the truth and carefully applying it, going to a brother and saying, look, there's a sin in your life, you see it, everybody else sees it, here's the sin. All right, and and you you really need to. You, I want to work with you. Let's get this thing out of your life, man. I used to struggle with the same thing. I'm struggling this way. I'm not saying you're. I'm any better. We're all in the same boat, brother. But this is making your life miserable. Let's get it out. And people see it. You know, you need to you need you need to deal with this. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there right alongside of you while we deal with it. And then if he doesn't, is to bring a couple brothers along with you and, and, and address it that way. And if that doesn't happen, then bring it to the church, and and let the church know about it. And let, and, and, and if that doesn't do anything, then it's pretty, obviously he's, it's pretty obvious that he is determined to stay in that sin. And, and a, a man who's determined to walk in sin and say, hey, I'm a member of the church. We've got to deal, so deal with that. He says you need to treat him like an outsider. So there's an attitude, and it's not an attitude of judgment. It's really an attitude of, of fear and, and uh, trembling and asking God. And right after that, Jesus gives, a, gives another command that addresses this. Because Peter asked the question, okay, so if someone sins against me and I do all that stuff, you know, and they're out at the church. He said, how many times do I forgive them for doing it? Because I know even if, or if they do, you know, they come, they say, oh, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then they go right back in and do it again. In other words, they keep sinning against me in the same way. What do I do? And Jesus says, what? You forgive them. You know, Peter says, what, seven times? He says, no, 70 times 7, which basically means every time. You never stop, all right? So if your little, your little plan for restoration doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're done, right? We stay in connection uh, with people. We, give them, we forgive them over and over again. We continue to work with them. So in conclusion, Paul goes back now uh, to the issue of affirming elders. He's going back. All this applies to what, it look, what leadership looks like within the body of Christ, All of this applies to the fact that we need some people standing up for God. We need elders who are pursuing God in such a way that it affects the way they live their lives, and here's what they look like. We need deacons who are serving uh, well in the body, and they aspire to to be like Christ, and so their lives look like this. And we need uh, the church to be ministering in these ways. Uh, and to be taking care of their pastor and, and, uh, and serving him well. And uh, we need sinners to repent of their sins and come to God to show that this is legit. And this is what changes everybody. All right, we need to be walking like people who love Jesus. And he says uh, you, you need to do that again because you're about to do something. You're about to select some elders. You're about to affirm some elders, and so are we. You're about to say, these are men that we see in this way, and so we don't want to do that carelessly, right? We want to make sure that we have a good picture of what it looks like to be leaders within the body of Christ and what it looks like to be a member and who do you need to have in front of you leading you so that you can constantly have a person uh, in in addition to the Holy Spirit saying this is what it looks like, right? The Holy Spirit saying this is what it looks like uh, in your life and in the, in the person that's is showing you an example. It's a beautiful thing when all of that comes together. We want that in the body. So in verse 22, he says this, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Parenthetical statement. It goes back to wine for a minute. Because there were some who said that anything that pleases the body uh, is sin. You don't need to do that. You don't need to drink wine. So he goes back in, a, in reference to keeping yourselves pure. He says, I'm not talking about drinking wine. Drink a little wine. It's good for you physically. Okay? He's saying, look, it's good for you. Drink it. Don't just drink water. But he's not. It's a parenthetical statement. It's tied to what he said ahead of time. He's just saying, and it's, don't make it a big deal. We've already had the big deal. Talk about alcohol. All right, It's not a big deal. But he's saying here, that you need to keep yourself pure. So don't start walking back over here when he says keep yourself pure. Keeping yourself pure is staying here. It's focusing on Jesus and enjoying, uh, enjoying Christ and the freedom that you have in Christ. So don't, when he says keep yourselves pure, I always have to feel like I have to make this statement to y'all. Uh, all right, I'm fixing to talk about some things we're supposed to be doing, and it's very specific in the Word of God. God is, this is God's Word for the church, and it's specific. Some of you are going to feel some things today. It's going to be guilt. Some of you, that's not of God. It's going to be shame, it's not of God. Some of you are going to feel inspired, that's of God. You love him enough, you're inspired to go and live the way he wants you to live. So Paul's saying, look, you keep yourself pure, and don't do it the old way. Do it this way. So some of them were thinking about wine, there's the issue. He said, the sins of some people are conspicuous. Going before them to judgment but the sins of other others appear later. So then verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. He says we need to be slow about about uh choosing elders. We need time, right? In our constitution bylaws, we have uh 3 years you have to be here for 3 years, be a part of the church for 3 years before you can be an elder. We have one uh, kind of addendum to that, that the elders, if, if another elder from another church comes here, that the elders, if we are unanimous in presenting that person to the body, that the church can affirm that person, but we're not going to be hasty about any of it. There's no need to be, right? We want, we want God's people. The mess comes when we're not careful, when we, when we have to hurry up and feel like we got to get something done, and we move hastily. We want to move carefully. And he says, here's the problem. The people that have sin, they can hide it for a little while sometimes. But if you stay in relationship with them for a while, you're going to see it. Their sin is going to be their judgment. Also, people that are good. Sometimes it takes them a while to, to really be themselves within the context of a congregation. And, and it may take them a while. And so we know, and we, we all know what it's like to be in bondage on both sides of Jesus. And we want to make sure that we're all here. And leaders, we definitely want to make sure that it's the people who really get this. It's the people who really understand how to walk with Jesus, who are showing the fruit of Jesus in their life, and are living for him. So uh, there's the text. I believe God is, is continually uh, continuing to add to our minds and our hearts uh, two things. One, what it's going to look like when we have leadership in place uh, in the way of elders and deacons uh, in a very short while. Uh, we'll have some. Uh, but also that you know, God is doing two things in the context of the body. One, hopefully, everybody with me still? We bring this conclusion. Okay, I want you to be praying about this in just a minute. Number one, I think every person in the body needs to be asking God, am I really, am I really pursuing God? And is my life really the the fruit of that? or am i am I still performing in some way? Am I still just trying to perform in a new way because it's a different church and it looks I'm trying to get all the rules down so I can know how to perform here. Don't do that. do this, pursue Jesus, okay, but maybe you're here and you need that. you need to hear what it looks like and so, man, just look at at the elders in the church, look at the people in the body some of you have the privilege of being able to look at somebody who invited you who's maybe been in this body for a while and they understand what it means. You know, we've, we've been fleshing this out together. It's not that we're higher or smarter. It's we've been fleshing it out a little longer. And so this body very, is it's very significant that you look around and find those people and that you begin to think, okay, am, am I really measuring up? Am I really after God? Is my life the fruit of that? And then the, the, the other thing is asking God about you being an elder. Are you being a deacon or deaconess? Is God calling you to that? And continue to pray about that. If he is, by the way, please let me know. Let me know that you feel the call of God, and we'll deal with that together as a body of elders. All right, so let's pray as we we prepare to worship in closing today. Let's pray and ask the Lord regarding our own lives. And then I'll, I'll voice our prayer for us. Father, I, I thank you that uh, I thank you for this body. I thank you for the privilege of, of pastoring here, uh, God. I thank you that that I can uh, pursue you with all my heart and and that my make my living here. And that you've convinced a, a group of people, though maybe a little naive, you've convinced people that it's a good thing. Father, you are good, and we praise you for the good life that you provide for us. I pray that we'll continue to be overwhelmed by who you are. And God, that each one of us as members of this body and representatives of the household of faith in this community will be better every day, better representations of you because you're doing stuff in our lives. I pray whatever you've brought on the hearts of our people today in the way of removing sin or leaving sin, join your Holy Spirit, God, to... Uh, to remove sin from their lives or put on some good deed or a righteous some form of righteousness, God, and I pray that we will be convinced by your spirit that it can be done through the spirit's power, and that we'll walk it out this week lord you are you are showing yourself in so many powerful ways, God, I pray also for people here today, uh many who are new faces, God that you would uh just work and move in their lives I pray today 's message would find their hearts receptive and and lord that you would uh, also just help them to find the church that you have for them in this body and if this is the household they need to be in lord we are so thankful and i pray that you'll continue to guide them as we worship you now god i just pray that you would continue to move and speak to our hearts and that we would respond with true worship to, to jesus who we love